join the song. Song long before our lives to raise our voice along heaven and earth alive. We've seen your
to the gathering of saints at Elizabethtown Mennonite Church. And um, through eternity, we'll be singing, Worthy, Lord, worthy, you are Lord of all. And let's continue our worship this morning, singing worthy to the Lord. <clears throat> oh, Lord, my God, when I Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee.
is holy. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Prince of peace. You are holy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty.
eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. It is sound of his voice, seas that are shaken and stirred, bones and broken for my regard, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, through it all, through it all, it is well, through it all.
Dear Lord, thank you for today and I pray that you would be with Donway as he speaks about the word, that we would realize that you truly are the only Lord of Lords, King of Kings and Prince of Peace, and that your guidance and protection would be with him and that he would speak clearly and we would hear you through him and no evil spirits would um, blind him and that you would be with everyone here and those online or who will watch this later. I just thank you for everything you've done for us today and I just bring bow down before you as truly you are the only God and in your name we pray amen thank you Aman for this wonderful prayer and for praying for me I'm very proud of you good morning you town how are you doing this morning uh, Good morning to those of you that are uh, connected virtually. Um, if you are new to E-Town, um, I welcome you. Uh, we're very delighted to uh, um, have you here this morning. I'm often um, overwhelmed when I think of uh, the enormity of the problem that we have in this world. Um, recently, um, we saw the escalation of conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, the tension that also um, flared up in uh, the Tigray region in Ethiopia, uh, displacing uh, hundreds of people, uh, killing hundreds. You know, our world is always um, deteriorating. The last edition of International Crisis Group, um, the monthly conflict tracker, highlights numerous countries that are uh, in conflict, more than dozens. Um, and on top of that, we've experienced recently a lot of um, changes in climates that devastated lives and the livelihood of the people. You know, technology has made you know, these things so easy for us to, to know. Uh, you just need to flip your phone on and you know what is happening around the world. At personal level though, yes, and yes, we humans often boil things down to personal level uh, to understand how they affect us personally. So at personal level, um, I grapple with several things this year as well, that I, things that I have no control over, okay? And the list start off with um, this past spring when my, my mother and my aunt die two days apart. That was uh, in March uh, of this year. That kicked off the year for me. Um, and then that followed with the COVID, uh, the lockdown, that swooped in like a, um, an eagle and forced us to adopt a new pattern of life. This also followed with an event that we all are aware of, uh, of uh, public execution of uh, George Floyd um, that we all uh, had a chance to, to look at, unfortunately. And then we had a public outcry of um, 
the brutality, the police brutality against the people of color in America, that was followed by a lot of um, um, protests in cities, burning buildings, and, and the outcry uh, against it. But the city of America <laughs> looked like a war zone. And as if this wasn't enough already to think about, two dear friends of mine um, passed, um, and, and literally two months apart. So the collective weight of all of these things began to, to be a bit heavy for me. Um, and it, it felt like it's an endless burden, hard to shake. And if I tell you that I was at peace with this, I probably would be uh, lying to you. I imagine many of you may have struggled with uh, some of the, these things. Uh, perhaps your struggle, based on your own experience, are different, no doubt. If I may, even during the summer, when we, the way we did church, you know, outside, or even what we're gathering now, it might have um, made you feel uncomfortable. I still don't like singing with a mask on, because I love singing. That's, that's something I grew up doing. It's not that I'm good at it, but I, singing with a mask on is not my thing. So whether small or big, whenever we have uh, situations that are unfamiliar, that challenge our no, no, uh, notion of what is normal, we are often uh, shaken at our core. And whenever we struggle to fit, to find solution in our uh, solution box, we are always, almost always, grabbed by emotions that we have no control over, like fear, Hopelessness, anger, envy, rage, malice, indifference, apathy, anxiety, confusion, denial, defensiveness, prejudice, sadness, depression, the list can go on and on. Some of you may have feel, uh, had those feelings. I have. I have during this summer. Um, and for me, it went for a while. It turned into a lament. And I'm sure some of you probably struggle a little bit too about what's going on in our country. These emotions, if they last long enough, they make us vulnerable. They make us susceptible to um, give allegiance to whomever pledges to give us assurance, to give us safety, to restore that sense of normalcy we once have. We become so susceptible to follow them whoever gives that assurance to us, if we're not careful to look, I mean, careful about where we go seek for help. This is just what happened with the election. I don't have to um, tell you about it, but the election, the two campaigns, two parties spent a combined $14 billion to convince us that they are the one that are the solution to our problem. If I may confess, sometimes some of those messages, their the, the political sound bites, resonates so well with some of us, including myself. Their message, sometimes it feels like they know us personally. Some of the after the election effects, I mean, photo, um, I saw 
it really gave me uh, time and to pause and, and wonder. They spoke very loudly when you see the emotion in people's eyes. I wonder, though, what happened to these people. I suspect this is because they felt a sense that whoever they are supporting, whether it's a Republican or the Democrats, whoever they support that is about to win that will restore that sense of normalcy in their life. Or they felt, that includes you and me, that if my, the party I support doesn't win, then that sense of normalcy is about to evaporate forever. Or at least for the next four years. Sadly, the solution offered by the political system never brings peace. Not the peace that Jesus is, talk, Jesus is as our title is today. That those politicians never, ever bring us peace. Why? In four years, they will be telling, giving us the same message. They will be offering us, I will restore peace, I will restore economic uh, prosperity, I will bring peace in four years. And that has happened before. Last four years, we heard the same message. Years after years, we hear the same message. Why is that? The peace they bring, I'm afraid, is not the peace that we are looking. At least from a biblical perspective, that's not the peace. So what is peace? We use the word peace um, in an everyday language, right? What does it mean, actually? You know, sometimes we say, I'm not at peace today, um, or I don't have peace of mind, or this country doesn't have peace. We don't have peace. We don't have peace in our family because we fight all the time. What does it mean, that, that word peace? So today we will spend a little bit of time, especially understanding what the peace Jesus brings to us is. As we've been looking at the different name of Jesus, right? Today we are going to look at that very uh, name again. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus alone, the Prince of Peace, the name for me that encapsulates almost every other name. Because peace is like a package. It has a lot of things in it. If we continue to look for peace elsewhere, we are guarantee, guarantee that we will not find it. We will be in perpetual frustration because it does not exist anywhere but in Jesus. We are going to look at some scripture um, in a little bit, but let, let me put it this way, because for people like myself, English is not your first language. You need to start with the definitions to get some basic down. All right, I know a lot of you are not, don't need English lesson, but I do. So what is peace? The, Miriam, uh, uh, the, Webster, Miriam, uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says, according to that dictionary, it's a state of tranquility, of quiet, such as freedom from civil disturbance, a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom, freedom from disquiet, disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotion, 
harmony in personal relationship, a state um, or period of mutual concord between governments. It is a pact or agreement and hostility between those who have been uh, uh, um, enemies. And then the, the definition continues on. And it gives us enough uh, of understanding what peace is. But that definition, though, if you look through it carefully, it automatically that it suggests that or implies that there is something else behind the scene that create that peace. It suggests that that harmony between people cannot create itself. There is something else behind what create peace or sustain peace. And that something else is called justice. And that leads us to the question of the, the definition of justice. Briefly, it says, the same dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster, the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflict claims or the alignment of, of merited rewards or punishment. It is the administration of law, especially the establishment or determination of rights according to rules of law and equity. There you have it. Peace and justice. It's just like the two sides of the coin. Almost justice have to come up first for peace to exist. So now that we clear this out, uh, those basic concepts, let's turn it to Isaiah 9, our very verse that um, passage that gives us this wonderful news about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, and I would just read um, the, the, the section. It's uh, the, the passage that we got the topic, I mean, the, the title of the message today is in, in verse 6, but I'm reading from uh, 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as to us, uh, for as the day of median defeat, you have shattered the yoke that, dis that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod on their, uh, of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in a battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined to burning, will be fueled to fire. For to us a, son, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over the, his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There is so much in this passage. We could actually spend the time understanding this passage because there's so much power to it. It lights out 
from light to dark, I mean, from darkness to light, um, you know, from darkness spring joy. And, you know, Isaiah has so much uh, colorful language and, and beauty and imagery in that passage. It's, it's, it's beautiful that, that usher in that, that, that news about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. But we are not going to spend a lot of time understanding the context itself. But it is important to understand the historical context of the Isaiah prophecy. Isaiah prophesied between 740 and, 7, uh, and 680 BC, covering a period of about four kings, of one of which was King Ahaz. And if you ever read about King Ahaz, it will, he was the worst king in, 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 in the Israelite um, uh, time. God was sickened during that time. God was sickened by their idolatry, moral degradation, injustice, religious hypocrisy, betraying, betraying the very God that saved them from Egypt. They turned their back to God. But as we know, the scripture, if you read the Old Testament, it's always a conflict. People turn their back to God. God goes after them time after time after time. And in Isaiah, the very beginning of, of the, 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 the first chapter, yet God is after them despite of their, their, um, their sinfulness. In, in Isaiah 1 verse 18, he says, the Lord says, <clears throat> The Lord offered forgiveness. He offered forgiveness even though they turned their back. He said, come now, uh, Isaiah 1 verse 18, come now, let, let us reason together. Say, the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall, become, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. But Israel will not heed warning. They will not heed warning and listen to their God. And we know the story. Not too long after that, they were hauled off to exile in Babylon, to captivity. And the story of God doesn't end here. Now fast forward, fast forward into the future, about close to 700 years, we see Jesus, that prince of king, the king, born. He's born, he is here, he grew up in Nazareth. This is the season where we start celebrating our Christmas, right? The coming of Christ. So Jesus came, born and grew up in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, with his father, earthly father Joseph. And, and at, at the year 33, I mean 30, uh, we, uh, we understand, he began his mission. I mean, he's in ministry. The, 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 the verse in Luke chapter 4 tells us a little bit about the beginning of his ministry. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me in Luke 4, verse 14 through 30. This is perhaps one of the passages we're going to spend a little bit of time on, and then we have other ones. And I read it. It's important to read the scripture. So if I say things that may be off bar, you can go back to the base. He was teaching in the synagogue. Um, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about, his, uh, about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to, to Nazareth, where he had been uh, brought up. That's his hometown. 
And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it, it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious word that came, out from, uh, came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this, pro uh, this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you uh, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Then, when, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was, no, uh, there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious. When they heard this, they were furious. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the broads of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff, basically to kill him. But he walked right through the crowd and won on his way. There's a lot of packed in this passage. It is worth noting in that passage here that um, this is only reference in the New Testament that the, the, uh, um, it is mentioned the year of the Lord's favor that reference to the year of Jubilee. The expression in Isaiah 61, uh, the year of the Lord's favor, clearly refers to the prescription of the book of Leviticus, 20, which is in Leviticus 25. Therefore, Jesus on that day proclaimed the year of Jubilee, or Jubilee year, if you will. Matthew and Mark actually talk about the same, uh, um, the same, the, the same story that, you know, when Jesus was in Nazareth that day. But Matthew and, and, uh, and Mark do not give us any detail whatsoever. Okay? But Luke, being a physician, or we understand physicians are always in the details, right? Which is important because if a physician opens you up and they forget their tool inside of you, you know, what happened? But Matthew, being so detailed, he gave us a clear description of that story. I mean, he goes into the details of what actually happened that day. Right? So I think this is very important that 
Luke tells us these, 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 these details. Jesus was the fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy um, that was told to the people of Israel long ago. We are also told that people were furious when Jesus said these words. Whether they were furious because they heard that the blessing when Elijah went, Elijah went somewhere else other than being with, you know, um, you know, with the Jew, he went outside of the tribe of Israel to seek protection or to seek cover, or the healing went to a different people, like Haman, Haman, uh, um, in, in, uh, in, outside of the tribe of Israel. Maybe that was the reason why they got so furious. We don't know, but we know that they were ready to kill him. Why? Why, why did they want to kill Jesus? When, if Jesus came to announce the peace, we heard that some of them were joyful, but some of them wanted to kill him right and there. But in the Jewish law, the crime, uh, um, the crime punishable by death was a crime of blasphemy against God or um, a, a blasphemy of, against God or a violation of the Sabbath law. But in, in that story that we just read, Jesus did none of those two, committed none of these two crimes. So why did they want to kill Jesus, the Prince of Peace? The answer perhaps lay back to the book of Isaiah 61 that Jesus quoted. The proclamation, of course, alone could not have, uh, you know, uh, could have been the source of their anger. If, in fact, Jews were used to, uh, to, to the reading of the scripture, they knew this law. The word Jesus uttered that day wasn't just, they were not just some vain words. Jesus meant to bring to fruition the vision that long ago was revealed to prophet Isaiah. Bring the year of the Lord's favor or the acceptable year of the Lord. In another word, Jesus was invoking the year of Jubilee. What he was invoking, it wasn't a surprise for them. Jesus meant this to become a reality. We know this because God instructed Moses to institute the Jubilee, to bring about equilibrium in the social structure of Jewish society, to maintain the land that he gave them. We can go back to Leviticus 25 and, and find all the details about it and read about it. That would be another sermon, but we're not going to spend much time on this. But an author called Antrotogmy says this in his book called Jesus and the no, uh, um, a Nonviolent Revolution. Puts, he puts it this way. By proclaiming the Jubilee, Jesus wanted to transform the present from the perspective of the future according to the code of justice God has promulgated in the past. This is a clue to what I, my, my, I understood. The practice of Jewish Jubilee was very well known among the poor. Why? You would, it's no brainer. Why? Because it gives them <laughs> time to rest. The poor were the one that ended up being a slave to someone else. 
And your jubilee says, you need to stop. Give them freedom. It was very well known to them. So, no, it's not a surprise that they would be so excited about Jesus proclaiming this. There is no surprise also for those who wanted to kill Jesus. They could have been the landowner. They could be the one in charge. Perhaps feeling a sense of guilt. Perhaps feeling that they may lose something here. And perhaps they were not even observing those laws themselves. The author of the same book, Andre Talkmans, says, in his speech, and, and I quote, in his speech, Jesus suddenly demanded that the law be put into effect immediately. This implied that, among other things, expor- expropriation of lands, of the wealth, and the liquidation of the usurpious system from which the ruling class lived. Whether that was the case or not, we know something was not sitting well with those who were in charge. How much? There's so much about, you know, about the year of Jubilee also that, um, and, and there's plenty of misconception about this, this idea of Jubilee. Um, again, for the sake of our time, I'm going to focus more on the idea of the justice that I earlier mentioned that is the, the other side of the peace. So peace can never exist without justice. In another word, justice is a prerequisite to peace, and peace becomes the byproduct. To be specific, such peace must be based on an all-encompassing principle of, with fairness, impartiality, and equity at its core, and with grace, grace and mercy encircling it. I encourage you to read Isaiah 61. It's one of those, actually, chapters that is up on our website, Isaiah 61. I am not surprised why Jesus would actually quote that passage. If you go to read it, you would understand the meaning, uh, powerful meaning that is in that chapter. This is the justice Jesus calls us to be messenger of. Let me repeat this again. This is the justice that Jesus called us to be a messenger of. The justice that is, has equity at its core and mercy encircling it. Injustice is usually done to the people that are living at the fringe of society, right? Isn't it? It is often those that are poor that do not have voice or do not have the power or the access. Their situations are always at the mercy of somebody else. God instituted Jubilee so that to prevent abuse of the land and more importantly, to prevent human exploitation. It is no surprise that when Jesus begins his ministry, this is the word that he goes to. Proclaim the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, and declaration and fulfillment of that prophecy. Because the mission of God is to reconcile us. The mission of God is to bring the world that he created, to restore the world that he created, the world that he intended. And like Israel, though, um, you and I today, no longer are waiting for, we are no longer waiting for 
just the news for the coming of Christ like the Israelites did. Jesus already came. Jesus came, the Prince of Peace came, and now you and I are commissioned. That is the difference between the Israelites that we're waiting for the Prince of Peace, but for us, he is here with us. And he's commissioning us to be those messengers. Our message is vastly different than those in the Old Testament. To do, um, now we are the bearer of, of that, that, um, that, 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 that message of peace. Okay? We are then called to be different. Called to be different. Different in our own environment as a follower of Christ. And different means we need to be a little bit uh, maladjusted to the, the society in which we live because this is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, to to uh, use the word from Martin Luther King um, Jr., we need to be maladjusted to our society when we see injustice. Maladjusted to the things that break, break the heart of God. We have seen enough in our nation that give us a good indication that we are not living in peace with one another. We've seen enough. We've seen enough that we're not living in a peaceful with, and in peace peacefully with one another under a justice system that is impartial, fair, and equitable. You and I are called to be mis, uh, peacemaker in this world. We must take a moment. For me, if this message is for anybody out there, it start with me first. We must take a moment to take a journey inward and ponder the question, first individually and collectively. How, Lord, how can I be an effective instrument of peace? Because our job is no longer waiting for that peace, waiting for the Prince of Peace. He is here. He's come. He is with us. And he has called you and I to be the peacemaker. Then we need to ask the questions, Lord, how am I being the peacemaker in this world? Maybe we need to reframe the question, because I explained earlier, peace is the byproduct of justice. We need to start with justice first. We may need to reframe the question, how can I bring justice so that there may be peace? I don't know the answer, but I know God has one for us. He always does. He always does. In the wider church, maybe, this is the question we need to ask ourselves. We need to take our complaint to God. Why there's so much suffering in this world? Why? You know, this summer I read the book of Habakkuk just about maybe three times. If you want to complain to God, go back to read the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters and you will get a good sense. Maybe this is where the church needs to start. Why, why there's so much suffering in our world? Why there's no peace? Even though we seem to have peace with one another, but yet 
There's so much hatred and division. We need to go back and read that book of Habakkuk many times. We will continue, we will continue to be divided, in, divided among ourselves, the church, and our community, in our nations, and in our world until we come to the sense that we need to go back to our Lord to center ourselves back to who Jesus is. In our Mennonite confession of faith, from a, uh, in a Mennonite perspective, we say this. Peace and justice are no optional teaching. They're not optional teaching. Counsel that Christian can take or leave. They belong to the heart of the gospel message. Let me reread it again. Peace and justice are not optional teaching. Counsel that Christians can take or leave. They belong to the heart of gospel message. This is what our core belief says. And in our uh, statement, mission, uh, here in E-Town, we say we are a community in mission to know God. That, that word is important, to know God. How do you know God? That's another full sermon, which we're not going to spend time on this morning. But we need to first know God, nurture a relationship with one another in the community, and experiencing God transformation power in Elizabethtown and beyond. And that vision, as we read the scripture this, this morning, that vision is what Jesus brought when he started his ministry in his hometown. He just went back to Isaiah 61. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Again, in, in Matthew 5, verses 13, um, we're gonna, I'm going to read this in a little bit. I ponder on those questions a lot of time because I tell you, when it comes to being a peacemaker or, or, or uh, you know, working for justice, I get overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. Maybe some of you figured this out, but I get overwhelmed. I'd rather stay in my house. I'd rather just do my devotions and hide behind whatever and stay in peace and close my eyes to reality that is going on around me. I get overwhelmed because I don't know what to start with. But the scripture gives us insight where we need to start. And let's turn with me in Matthew 5, verse 13 uh, to 16. It is a passage that you are all familiar. We are all familiar with. Very, very familiar with. You are the light and the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under food. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill, another uh, uh, cannot be hidden. Neither, the people, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
A friend of mine did a devotional on this passage um, a couple of weeks, I mean, a couple of days ago, and it's, this passage struck me differently. I've, I've heard of it many, many times. It struck me differently. It dawned on me that the work of justice does not actually ask us anything more than us becoming authentic Christian, becoming true Christian, following what God called us to be. If we were to become instrument of God, we need to be salt and light. And if you look at the quality or, or the property of salt and light, they don't need to do anything. By being what they are, they transform. Salt has a flavor, it preserves, it can irritate if there's a wound. It disinfects, it has cleansing property. It changes things. When it comes in contact with things, it melts ice. It creates thirst. On and on. That's the property of salt. And light, you cannot hide it, you see. It's visible. It helps you to see. It affects people's mood. It shows you the way out of darkness. It is used for sterilization. UV lights can kill germs. It helps the plants outside grow. I'm a gardener. I like when there's a sun, you know, a sunny day. I just get excited. It is a source of energy. So what happens when the salt loses its salt, saltness? So what happens when there is no light? What happens? You didn't see that, did you? What happens when there is no light? You can see a whole host of things happening behind the darkness. Did you see my transformation? Let me do it again. Without the dark, without the light, you would not have seen this. I could put this on and be transformed to something else. Right? At all of a sudden, you don't even know who this guy is. Let alone if I put my jacket on, all of a sudden I become something else. When darkness comes, things happen, brother and sister. When we cease to be light to the world around us, we should not be surprised to see the kind of things that breaks the heart of God. For me, the constant threat to Christian is a temptation to be assimilated, to have a fear to stand out. As a black person, I stand out among you here like a sore thumb. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we begin to become a peace, peacemakers, we are going to stick out. People are going to see that we are different people. 
So it is time for us to begin seriously thinking about how it is that we are a peacemaker in this world. Rather than asking the question how we can become peacemakers, we need, again, I told you, need to take that journey inside ourselves first and find where uh, in, in, inside us, in our journey with Christ, where we, are, we have not uh, been honest ourselves. But here is what, here's the key. If we seek to be, to become well adjusted to mainstream society and, sens and sensitive to the issue of injustice that is core to the message of Jesus, and if we fear retribution of being different, we criticize each other rather than praying for each other. And if we take our frustration to the social media rather than kneeling and asking the heart of God, if we fail to be maladjusted to the very thing that the prophet Amos was maladjusted to, we ought not to complain about what we are seeing around us. The temptation to become bitter toward each other is too great. It is often far too easy to find a problem in somebody else than in ourselves. I'm afraid the inward journey is too treacherous. It's too difficult. But if we take the time to self-examine, the self-examination, we may very well discover that we are the one standing in the way of the blessing that comes with the full knowledge of Christ. We, are, we may be the very person standing in that blessing for ourselves. We must confess, I must confess, this summer I was frustrated and I continue to be tempted all the time when I see the ache in our society. Again, I told you, I read this book of many times because, you know, sometimes you get to a point where you're like, why God, some things, things are happening like this? Why there's pain for the people that have nothing to do with this are suffering? Why good people are suffering? The book of Haggakkah addresses these questions. If you begin to, with chapter one, you're like, yes, now I find a whole prophet telling me the things that I'm feeling. He is challenging God directly, not somebody else. Say, God, why are you letting these things happen to us? Then you go into the chapter two, you're like, Yes, Habakkuk and I, we're good. We're, we really are in sync. Then you get to chapter 3, you realize the problem is not God, the problem is yourself. So, brother and sister, we must be honest about our past. Our past is what obstructs the peace of justice in our lives. The peace of Jesus in our lives. When we, receive, we refuse to admit the mistake of our past, refuse to lay it at the foot of the cross, the sin that are in our lives, those burdens, we refuse to put them at the foot of the cross. We'll more certainly, certainly continue to do the same thing over and over and expecting different results, unfortunately fulfilling what we call insanity, which is the best definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. 
we will most certainly fail to recognize the need to change and miss the opportunity to gain a different perspective in an ever-changing world. The peace that Jesus brings to us today, it's more encompassing. It's the peace that we need. It begins with us. We must have it. It begins with us. We must have it. You cannot share what you don't have. It is not, it is not peace when your neighbor house is on fire. It is not peace when our nation, which is looking seemingly peaceful, but is being ripped apart from inside out with bitterness and hatred toward each other. It is not peace when people in America, uh, in Armenia, Azerbaijan, in the Horn of Africa, are being pulverized with bullets, family being displayed, destroyed, people sent running for their own life. It is not peace when we fail to recognize or even refuse to see the pain and suffering around us just because I don't know about it, just because I close my eyes to see it, doesn't mean it is peace. Especially, especially the peace that Jesus is. A few weeks ago, I reached out to a friend of mine. He's from Armenia. We worked together for many years, and we have traveled on a numerous occasion. I came to appreciate his friendship quite well. I, I called him. I said, well, uh, um, I, I'm praying for you because I, I see that uh, your home country is, um, is in turmoil. People are fighting each other. The village, villages are being destroyed. When you know somebody, when you know a situation, at all of a sudden, even I've never been in Armenia, I've never been in Azerbaijan, it doesn't feel like a far distant land anymore for me because I know that friend personally. Yeah? You cannot escape, you cannot escape the suffering of somebody you know. The problem in our society these days, we refuse, refuse to get to know our neighbors. We refuse to get to know each other. As a result, we close our eyes to the suffering and we yet we expect peace. Peace, my understanding, and I hope it is yours too, is when we recognize the Prince of Peace, when we hear his message and we take it to heart. In John 14, verse 27, it says, Jesus says to his this, he said this, Peace, I leave you. Peace, I have with you, uh, I, I, I live with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gave. This is key. He does not give to us as the world gave. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the peace that Jesus gave us. Are you hurting today because of some circumstances that you're undergoing? Are you um, stressed about some unknown situation? Is it a relationship problem? Is it sickness? Is it financial? Is it anger? 
Is it fear? Whatever it is, bringing to the foot of the cross. This is where we find peace. And that's the only place. And down to John 14, um, Jesus again says, um, he, he, he's telling his, his disciple, he, he's he, it's, it's a peace that, that reflects his assurance that he left with his disciple. It is not simple, like a simple farewell that this disciple, you know, that he promised to his disciple. It is, he was in the context of his death. Jesus was promising his disciple the inheritance that he was giving them. He, in fact, was telling them that he is not actually leaving them. The disciple will not be orphaned. That they will not be alone because he will live his peace with them. And John 16, verse 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in, in, in me you may have peace. That's John 16, verse 33, if you want to uh, uh, track. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, there's no promise of not having trouble. But Jesus has conquered it already. The peace Jesus offers is not the world peace, neither he's giving us a false promise of security nor an end to conflict. The peace that Jesus offers us is going to be with us. It's not a peace that changes over time. It's not a peace that every four years somebody will offer it to you, and then four years again it will offer you like our political system here does. The peace that Jesus offers us, of which we ourselves become, the messenger is a peace that drives from the heart of Jesus' life. The peace of Jesus is all-encompassing sphere of life. His, life. his love that knows no limit. It is that peace that rests in the center of Israel's eschatological hopes. Word that is full, mouthful, can't say it correctly. That is now present with us. That peace is with us. The peace in Jesus calls us to a new, a new life. It gives us new strength for the circumstances in which we live. The peace of Christ anchors us. It anchors us the foundation that we will stand on even in the most devastating circumstances of life. It cannot shake, cannot be shaken. In Ephesians 2, Jesus, Paul tells us, Jesus is that peace himself. He is the peace. Imagine a world where we get that, um, that message, get that vision, and embrace that vision of peace that Jesus is. The exciting news is that it is at hand. Christ has come, and he is with us. What we need to ask him today is the courage. The courage to be brave and be unapologetically about, and, and apologetic about our faith um, in Christ. 
we ought not to compromise our faith with the world. Alan Patton said, in a beautiful, beautiful poem, it says, Give us courage, Lord, to stand up and be counted. To stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. To stand up for, our, for ourselves when it is needed, needful for us to do so. Let us fear nothing more than we fear you. Let us love nothing more than we love you. For thus we shall fear nothing also. Let us have no other God before you. Whether nations or party or state or church, let us seek no other peace but the peace which is yours and make us its instrument. Opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we should know always what work of peace we may do for you. May God give you the courage to be the peacemaker that Jesus called you and I to be in this world, starting with our neighbor and the world around us. Thank you. Trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him
so glad I learned to trust you, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that you are with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, Lord. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this time we're able to spend with you this morning. Lord, we pray that um, you humble us to come to you to be transformed. It is not in our power. We don't have the capacity to transform ourselves to become the people that you call us to be. We don't have not even an ounce of capacity to change ourselves. But there is power when we come to you. There is power um, to, to be the kind of people you call us to be when we come to you, to become the peacemaker that we need to become. Um, Lord, we just pray that today as we go, we reflect a little bit on what it means to be your disciple in this place and in the world that we live in. We are a society that are always struggling, but we are not um, alone. We're not, we do not despair because Christ, you are with us. You never left us as an orphan. And I pray that you, you inspire us to have that knowledge uh, to put it front and center in our life so that we may continue to be encouraged even in much in the most difficult circumstances that we may find ourselves in. Lord, we thank you for this time and we, um, I pray that uh, you will go with us uh, throughout the day and the, the week to come. And pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>